What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Sports Tea with JD. My name is Jackson Duncan, and for episode three, I am thrilled to be joined by the head coach of the Vanderbilt University baseball program, Tim Corbin, who has won two national championships. He's been a three-time SEC Coach of the Year, two-time ABCA, which is the American Baseball Coaches Association National Coach of the Year, and also he has led the team to four College World Series appearances, four-time SEC regular season champion, two-time SEC tournament champion, and a five-time SEC East champion. And he was also the manager for USA Baseball's national team in 2006. Joining me today is the head coach again of Vanderbilt University's baseball program, Tim Corbin. Coach Corbin, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jackson. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to be talking to you today. But first things first, right now we're about a month and a half or a month or so into this quarantine period with the COVID-19 global pandemic that's been going on. And the NCAA made the announcement to shut down all spring sports. What is your baseball team up to right now after having their season cut short after just playing 18 games? Well, I think they're trying to keep themselves busy. I mean, they're going to school for sure, and that's going to end here soon. Uh, so that's been their top priority. But outside of that, it's it's really trying to keep themselves as, as uh mentally and physically busy as they possibly can. It's an awkward time for them just because they've never been exposed to this much free time as many of us. But at the same time, um, they they can use it wisely and if they choose to, and hopefully they have. But uh, yeah, I think they're, they're operating like uh, a lot of student athletes throughout the country. It's trying to uh, work out to their best of their ability with the resources that they have and uh, just try to stay on task. Yeah, and how much contact are you able to be in or your fellow coaches able to be in with the players at this time? Well, some. I mean, I, I think I think the most difficult part for me really is is really what to tell them because I, I think outside of just communicating with them, there's there's not a whole lot of information we can give them right now because there's so much mystery to a lot of the questions that are being asked. So um, it's just basic conversation right now and and just trying to uh, prod them along as they finish up school. Awesome. And another quick note, the NCAA is giving spring athletes an option to take an extra year of eligibility. Have you talked or heard from any of your players if they will probably take that option? Well, I think everyone that's in a position to take a year will. Uh, it it who do that because you never know what's going to happen down the road. Uh, so they're all granted another year if they want one. The seniors have, have an option as well. And we have two seniors that will have graduated. So their situation is a little bit different than the junior, sophomore, freshman. But at the same time, anytime you're, you're rewarded time, that's a good thing. So for them, it, it gives them some maneuverability on finishing an education or at least getting close to and then, uh, you know, while they're, while they're in school, it's just the improvement that takes place so they can potentially at some point in time um, have an opportunity to play beyond college. Yeah, yeah. And if things right now, Coach, were going as normal, you would have just finished a three-game series against Ole Miss, and you'd be looking forward to a home series against Alabama. 23 games were between uh, the point where the season ended where y'all just played Toledo at Hawkins Field until this point right now where you'd be coming up against this game, a series against Alabama. What were some positives in the 18 games you saw from your team in 2020? You had Jack Leiter, a freshman pitcher. 
You had Kumar Rocker coming back in the bullpen, and also you had uh, Jake Etter. He came back, and you had some young talent coming back from national nat, last year's national champion team. What has been positives in the 13-5, 18-game season you saw so far? Well, we're playing pretty positive baseball for the most part. Um, we had a tough schedule. Uh, we traveled, uh, got to play some good teams, and uh, you could you 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 hit on it right away. You talked about a lot of those pitchers, and um, Mason Hickman being one of them too. But uh, we we were pitching well. We had lost five games, four by one run, one by two, and then uh, had won thirteen. So we we're playing pretty good baseball, and I think. The other part of it is we we had some youth and inexperience on the team, and that youth and inexperience you could see. I mentioned it to him after we got done playing Toledo, how you could see some improvement taking place. So, what kind of improvement would have taken place ultimately? You will never know, but uh, we were going to get better. There, there's no doubt about that, and I think we had pitching in place. And as long as we stayed healthy, we we were going to have a chance to contain other teams and at some point in time, be able to score more runs than we did at the beginning of the year because we were getting better offensively. But I I like the, the defense of the team. We uh, had two very good seniors and Tyler Duvall and Harrison Ray, and they created a lot of harmony for this group of group of kids. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's, it's unfortunate, but there were a lot of teams that were exposed to the same situation we were. And I say a lot of teams, even in the winter, too, with the hockey and the basketball seasons being shut down. So um, this just uh, overcame us, and uh, we, we had to move on quickly. Yeah, the final game y'all played was actually the same day, Wednesday, March 11th, that the NBA announced the cancellation or yeah. postponement of their season. And during this pandemic, I noticed you kind of took a hiatus for about eight years from Instagram, but you're back on Instagram, it seems like. And also, you've been posting some to Twitter. And people who follow your account, they may have noticed you're posting a unique uh, thing right now. It is the hero batting lineup, and you're posting about different heroes, whether it's Dolly Parton, who you just posted about earlier, or different people in the medical field. Talk about how that idea came about to post the batting cards of these heroes around our country. Yeah, I was a doctor that my wife and I are very close to, and we just had a conversation with him about the morale of the doctors and the support staff at the hospitals. And um, we just got the idea really from him. And I think it was a Monday morning. My wife woke up and she goes, I think I have an idea. And she said, what about if we honor um, a doctor or an ancillary position person uh, that's serving patients? Uh, if, if we can uh, somehow recognize them on a daily basis and then, I saw this old uh, Topps baseball card, and I thought, okay, we can make a baseball card of everyone and kind of give give the public a little bit of a background on this person that we're recognizing daily and have some fun with it. And, you know, we, we have. We've, we've enjoyed doing it. Uh, we're on, what, day 13 right now, at least when we started, and we'll just continue doing it. We've got a lot of names, got a lot of pictures, and that's good because there's a lot of people out there that are – serving at a time where it's it's really their season and it's really always their season when you think about medical staff people but in this particular time it's uh, there's some intensity to it just because of the epidemic and uh, the pandemic and and the lives that 
or potentially having to be saved and cured and, and so on. So um, it's just a way of recognizing them at a, at, a, at a tough time to try to help with their morale. Yeah, and you're the head coach of Vanderbilt University, but Vanderbilt Medical Center obviously has done a huge part in helping out with this global pandemic. And you posted 12 different posts, but I wanted to ask, what was the hashtag Say It Steve about, if you have any information about that? Yeah, well, um, this, the starting lineup is obvious, but Say It Steve is uh, Steve Willard. He's our PA announcer at the games. And what he and another gentleman did is, every time we put out a baseball card, they would actually add a PA announcement to it. So they would take the baseball card and announce the person as if they were announcing them for a, a batting order, a lineup. And uh, I thought it was neat. He started doing it. And then I just hashtagged him every time that uh, we put a card out. And that's kind of cue Steve to um, put the put the tweet out there in a, in a PA form. So yeah, I've enjoyed listening to him do that. Yeah, the response on social media seems like it's been well uh, throughout the posts you've been making. But looking back on last year's national championship run, y'all had, again, the start of this season cut short and wouldn't get to finish this season. But last season, y'all go on and win the national championship. That was your second national championship. Y'all won back in 2014, were runners-up in 2015, and then this 2019 team comes out, wins the national championship, Maybe describe starting maybe the SEC tournament. Y'all beat Auburn, have a number three Mississippi State team. Y'all take down 1-0, then beat LSU and Ole Miss. What in that SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama, really stood out to you about your team winning the SEC tournament? We just won in different ways. Um, there was no real one way that, that we won. Uh, as you mentioned, we beat Auburn to start off with, and then the Mississippi State game was just a – a great game because you had Drake Fellows and Ethan Small, two very, very good pitchers going back and forth with one another. And we were fortunate to win that game because Ethan Small was unhittable and Drake Fellows was too. I mean, they just did what they had to do to give their teams a chance. And then beyond that, it was, um, you know, we played some offense. We played a lot of offense. And um, I, I think, what was notable about last year was certainly that that last game in the SEC tournament, because for all intents and purposes, we were a number one seed going into a regional. It didn't matter what we did in that tournament, but just to be down by so many runs in, in that particular game. And albeit it was in the fourth inning, so you're never out of a game, but just to put together the mad rush of runs that we did in order to come back and, and beat a very good Ole Miss team to win the tournament championship. So now you won the regular season in the tournament. And I just thought the kids, they never took their eye off the target. They were just very uh, deliberate in what they were doing. The days in between the games were just as good as the games. And there was uh, harmony in the, you know, on the team. It was just a, you know, if they were your own children, it was just a very consistent bunch of pe bunch of kids in which the parents could, you know, kind of let them do the things that they needed to do, and they did. And we were very fortunate to be around them. Yeah, and a quick note on that game against uh, number 22-ranked Ole Miss in the championship. Y'all overcame an eight-run deficit like you touched on earlier. It was also y'all's biggest comeback in 13 seasons. It was the longest SEC title game in history, running four hours 
22 minutes, and it was the first walk-off in an SEC championship game since 1983, where Philip Clark had the bases loaded single to win. Y'all win that game, and then y'all go to the regional championship, which y'all host at Hawkins Field. A quick note, which some people may not be aware of, y'all go and win all three games in the regional championship, which made it 25 of 26 games y'all had won. So y'all go on just a tear there with 25 games, one out of 26. Y'all beat Ohio State, and then back-to-back against number 23rd-ranked Indiana State. Moving from that to the Super Regional, talk about that matchup against Duke. Game one, they just run through with 18 runs, win 18-5. to In the top of the eighth, they drop 10 runs. What was the message to your team after game one, after allowing 18 runs there in that Super Regional game? Well, I think when you, you lose like that, you, you just have to put it behind you very quickly. And I think that was the, the thing. It, you know, anytime you get eaten up like that, uh, it, it hurts. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. That was, a, that was a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, it, it, didn't, it didn't determine the series. You, you know, anytime you play a Super Regional, you know that you got an opportunity, even if you win or lose the first game, doesn't matter. It's a three-game series. So, um, yeah, it was uh, – it, it, we just had to, to come right back. And, you know, I, again, you know, I, I talked about the SEC tournament. But maybe the SEC tournament was uh, w- was kind of a precursor of what we were going to do in this particular game. But the effort that you got from a freshman, I mean, very a very rare situation when, you know, we forget, don't forget that Kumar Rocker was watching all 18 runners step on that plate on Friday night. And he had to come back and, and, and shut them down and um, throw a note, you know, to shut shut a team down is one thing to shut them out it's another throw a no hitter well you know that just doesn't happen and he was uh he was tremendous he was just um i don't know there have been a lot of great performances at hawkins before but that one's notable because of what it did for our team and what it did for him and uh but to put us in a position for the very next day to come back and um uh, to score 13 runs and, and win a Super Regional after that game. That that just said, said a lot about Kumar and said a lot about our team. Yeah, that was Vanderbilt's first individual no-hitter since 1971, and it was the first ever in NCAA Super Regional history. And he had a Vanderbilt postseason strikeout record. He actually beat David Price's 17 strikeout record from a game in 2007 against Austin P. A rocker threw 131 pitches that game. But talk about, I mean, the response of Rocker, again, like you were saying, 18 runs, and then to have 19 strikeouts out of the 27 outs in that game, 19 of the 29 batters, there are two walks. Rocker, a freshman, and a quick note for those who don't know Rocker's size, he's a right-handed pitcher, six foot four, 255 pounds, and for any Tennessee Titans or maybe Alabama fans, Derrick Henry, to put this in perspective, is six foot three, 248, 245 pounds. So Kumar Rocker is an inch taller and even a couple pounds heavier than Derrick Henry. What's it like having a freshman of that size throwing the fastball, throwing the hard-cutting slider, and throwing a complete game no-hitter after the team let up 18 runs in game one? Well, he, you know, he, he, you mentioned his size and you mentioned some of the things he can do. I think when Kumar first got here, I, everyone would have looked at him and said, this is just a hard-throwing right-handed pitcher, but he's 
you know, there, there's a lot of skill to him. There's a lot of fibers to this young man that exist that make him make him different. He's very, very competitive, and he's he's got the right personality when he's on the mound. Uh, he's only trying to do one thing, and that's win for his team. This is a this is a very team oriented young man, and he gets it honestly. I've always said he's a great representation of his mom and dad. His dad was a Outland Trophy winner at, at Auburn as a football player, and Lou's mom is a very smart, intelligent woman who um, really was, yeah, very vocal in the process of him coming here. You know, she she uh, was very vocal to me even before he committed to Vanderbilt that my kid's going to go to college. And when you hear that, you never know, especially someone like Kumar is very celebrated as a high school kid. But, you know, there was some growth to him too. I mean, he had to kind of cross some barriers before he could get past five innings, past six innings, past seven. But every time he did throughout the year, you could see where his confidence grew. And um, he certainly had got down to that point where, SEC tournament, he had the, the win against LSU and then uh, the win against Indiana State. He, he, you could just tell that this kid was growing right in front of us. And, um, you know, you never know uh, w- what type of outing he was going to have. But uh, at, at the same time, uh, when he threw that game against Duke, you could tell that he was pretty dialed in. Mm-hmm. And you touched on the 13-run game in Game 3, winning 13-2 against Duke which made it the four time in nine seasons you all be heading to Omaha for the College World Series. So June 16th through 26, 2019 is the College World Series. Y'all's first matchup was against number 11 Louisville. Y'all win that 3 to 1, and then y'all go again against Mississippi State, win that one 6 to 3 and then back against Louisville 3 to 2. Talk about maybe those first 3 games getting a 3-0 start and just knocking off Louisville, Mississippi State and then Louisville again to start y'all's time in Omaha. Well, they're all tough games. I mean, uh, you, you look back to, to those games. The Louisville first one was three to one. They had a, we had to beat a very special pitcher, and um, that was you know Drake Fellows, a starter for us, who uh, you know w- was found to have cancer av- after the College World Series was over. So this is a kid who who pitched in unique circumstances, and he pitched really, really well. Uh, he had to because we were going against a very special left-hander for Louisville. And then the Mississippi State game, you know, we had already beaten them. So it was one of those games that it was kind of more of the same. We knew what we were going to get. Uh, we were very fortunate to, to pull that game out. And once we did, they put us in the winner's bracket, which was good. But at the same time, we knew we were going to have to come back and either beat Mississippi State or Louisville again. And the Louisville game, in which we won 3-2, to two, it was kind of the game of games because uh, we were getting shut down. Uh, it was probably a lot like, uh, I, I don't know, it was like the Mississippi State SEC game where we just couldn't get a lot of things going offensively. Actually, the first part of that Duke game that Kumar pitched, we couldn't get a lot of things going offensively either. But, uh, you know, towards the end, we broke the game open when we needed to. The kids responded well, and then, um, the beginning at the end when defensively Harrison Ray made that catch. And uh, once we won that game, it, it was good. It was good that we could get to the championship series, not having to play one more game and, and just win the three games and um, rooting for Michigan the entire time. But, you know, when you're rooting for Michigan, not ever thinking it would get to the point where you're going to play him. And uh, we did. We ended up playing one another and Eric, 
Backage having coached here and having started this program with us, it was, uh, you know, it was a kind of a, a nice thing to be doing that. But at the same time, um, once the teams got together, it just became a, a game of baseball between Michigan and Vanderbilt. Yeah, and you talk about getting to that national championship series against Michigan. The prior two times you had been in the national championship series, both against Virginia, game one, y'all started off with a win in 2014. Y'all won a 9-8 close battle, and then in 2015, the year y'all finished as a runner-up, y'all did win game one, 5-1. Here against Michigan, you dropped game one, 7-4. And so what's the message, again, to your team after uh, losing game one and having an uphill battle for the final two games after losing that one, 7-4 against Michigan? It's more of the same. I mean, it's just that, you know, that the kids were confident at this point. They knew that if if they lost, that they, you know, they, they had the ability to come back. So um, I, I don't I, I don't think at any point in time I ever looked at our team and looked at that group of kids and said, we're in trouble. I, that that wasn't the feeling at, at all. It was more of um, we're, you know, we're going to respond in a, in a favorable fashion. And we did. Um, and you know, we had to get some good pitching. I mean, I, you talk about Kumar again. I mean, he, he came back and talk about having to, to respond again uh, with the team needing you to pitch well. Uh, he did, you know, several days after pitching against, uh, was it Mississippi State? He, he came back and, and, and pitched a, a gem of the game against Michigan, kind of shut him down, gave up one run, I think it was, one four to one, and um, that was kind of the turning point. I think when we won on that game, won that middle game, it was almost like the Duke situation. It's like, okay, won that game, we're going to take this home. Uh, at least that's how we felt, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And then game three, y'all go in and win 8-2. to two. Mason Hickman gets 10 strikeouts, and then Jake comes in and closes the deal in three innings. And then, again, Kumar Rocker, like you were saying, he was the MVP of the NCAA tournament. He went 4-0, had a 0.96 ERA, 44 strikeouts, and only five walks in 28 innings pitch. What was it like just having those pitchers, Jake and Mason and Kumar, just and other people, just getting the job done when you needed it most? Well, if you're going to win a championship, you're going to win a national championship, you have to have good pitching. It has to be consistent, and they have to be durable because you're getting into May, you're getting to the end of May, getting into the beginning of June, you get the middle of June, the end of June. Those guys have to be fresh, and I credit our, our pitching coach for doing that and keeping them fresh and, and keeping them on task. And, you know, Chris Ham, our, our uh, strength coach, and, and doing more of the same. Uh, I think the thing that gets left out a lot of times is the health of your club. And if you don't have health on your club, you can't win a national championship. And, frankly, we were healthy most of the year. We didn't lose pieces of our roster at any point in time, especially the kids that were, uh, were were very valuable. And there was a lot of valuable players. But uh, from a pitching standpoint, those guys stayed healthy. They stayed consistent. And they stayed on point. Because of that, we put ourselves in position to, um, to win a championship. And how did this past year's national championship compare to the first time you won the championship back in 2014? That championship was the first men's sport championship in Vanderbilt history. The team included the likes of Dansby Swanson, Tyler Beatty, Walker Buehler, Carson Fulmer, and others. Talk about what the second championship was like compared to that first one back in 2014. Yeah, it's more of the same. I mean, it's it's is a 
you know, you're exuberant is you got such a great feeling for the kids because it, it's winning the national championship is so far fetched. It, it's just so far out there. I mean, I, I know teams start at the beginning of the year and think that's that's your goal, but to, to think that's reality, it just doesn't happen. The fact that we did it one time was outstanding. The fact that we could do it twice, I mean, incredible. Uh, but we had just, I had similar feelings, you know, just a lot of joy for that first team, a lot of joy for this team right here. I think personally for me, it's just the, the ability to handle it after it happens, the next two days, the third day, the fourth day, and, and really how to manage the next season. Because I think anytime you win a national championship, it is about managing the next season and separating the teams. And we were off to a pretty good start in doing that this year, but um, I just, just happiness for the kids. I mean, happiness for the kids and the staff and everyone who puts so much time and effort into it, uh, including the families too, who give up a lot um, by having their their dads or wives, for that matter, as as part of our program. Yeah, and definitely talented players on both the 2019 and 2014 roster, but also. Throughout your time at Vanderbilt since 2003, a quick note, you've coached 15 first-round draft picks for Vanderbilt. Two of those selected number one overall. That was David Price in 2007 for the Tampa Bay Rays, and then Dansby Swanson selected number one overall by the Diamondbacks there in 2015. Talk about just some of the players running through the list real quick. Jeremy Sowers, David Price, Casey Weathers, Pedro Alvarez, Ryan Flaherty, Mike Miner, Sonny Gray, Grayson Garvin, Tyler Beatty, Dansby Swanson, Carson Fulmer, Walker Bueller, Kyle Wright, Jaron Kendall, and J.J. Bleday. All 15 of those guys selected in the first round of the MLB draft. Do any of those guys stand out to you, or do you get to stay in touch with any of them as they get to flourish in the MLB? We did some good research there, Jackson. I wouldn't have been able to reel, reel those things off. Um, yeah, we get to stay in touch with them. I mean, there were fortunate in the fact that they come back here and work out so we get to see a lot of them not all of them but uh most of them and most of them are still playing jeremy sowers is is working in the front office now for tampa bay but you, you've got most of them still playing which is is good it you know it's a, it's just a credit to them it's their investment habits and and how much they put into the game in order to put themselves into a position to get recognized at, at, at that level as a, as a first rounder. That's, uh, that's special. Um, and, and for them to, to get the opportunity and then to make something of it and then get to the big leagues, that, that's special too. And, and most of them have gotten there and some that you mentioned are going to get there. So, um, yeah, I'm proud of them all. I'm proud of them all just because of, you know, skills that go beyond the physical skills that, that you see and they get rewarded for because without the mental skills and the ancillary components of, of being a good person, they don't get to that point. So, um, yeah, just a classy bunch of kids. Every single one of them that you mentioned right there is a classy kid. Yeah, and staying with the number 15, those were 15 first-round picks, but another fact is that Vanderbilt led the nation with 15 former players who made an MLB appearance in the year 2019. And running through that list real quick, again, Tyler Beatty, Ben Bowden, and then Walker Bueller, Kirk Casale, Carson Fulmer, Sonny Gray, Tony Kemp, Mike Miner, David Price, Brian Reynolds, Sam Selman, Dansby Swanson, Drew Verhagen, Kyle Wright, and Mike Yastrzemski. All 15 of those guys made it into the big leagues, at least at some point. 
And another fun fact is the first trio from the same university, that's Walker Buehler, Sonny Gray, and Mike Miner, were all MLB All-Stars, and they were the first trio to eclipse 200 strikeouts in a single season. Talk about, just real quick, some of those players that maybe were mentioned, Mike Yastrzemski, Drew Verhagen, and some of them. What's it like? Do they ever get to come back and contact you about when they make that big league appearance? Well, when when they get the when they they get the note that they're coming or they get the call that they're coming, I should say, yeah, we we make contact with them right away. I mean, that's a that's a tremendous feeling for them you know, to to be asked to to come up to a big league team when sometimes it's a it's a complete surprise to some of them. It's not, but to be part of that, um, they get their flag raised here at Hawkins. Yeah, it's great. Yastrzemski's uh, the—that's a good story because he was a four-year player here. He was a senior. And obviously, his granddad was one of the greatest Boston Red Sox players of all time, and one of my personal favorite players. So, to be able to coach his grandson was a special thing. But Mike is a, again a, a great representation of his granddad. He's a great representation of his late father, Mike, who got up to AAA with the White Sox. But uh, what Mike did this year for San Francisco, that that's why he's there. I mean, that's a that's a kid who doesn't give up, who's very confident for the right reasons, and uh, is pure, pure baseball player. So he's a winning baseball player. He's a winning part of any team. Um, so that was uh, that was a great moment when when he got brought up. And you mentioned Verhagen too. Verhagen was only with us for one year, but I feel like he's the type of kid that. Even though he was here for one year, he left an imprint as if he was a kid that was here for three or four. Uh, Drew comes back a lot, and you spend a lot of time with Drew. So, yeah, um, each name you bring up, and I can give you a side story that's not important, but uh, they're all special kids. Yeah, and you've been coaching since 1988. You coached for Presbyterian, and then you're an assistant for Clemson. And then now since 2003, you've been at Vanderbilt. What do you think the future of your career in Vanderbilt baseball holds? Do you have any plan on stopping anytime soon, or do you want to keep rolling after 32 years plus? Well, no, I don't, I don't think about stopping. I mean, I, I think the only thing that's stopping us right now is the pandemic. But uh, outside of that, I'm not, I don't have any plans on doing anything else. I don't know what I'd do with myself if I wasn't coaching baseball. I'm a very simple, dumb human being, so <laughs> this is really all I can do. Um, and, and, and that I guess could be questioned at certain times. So, uh, this is, this is really all I like to do. Um, I, I just, uh, enjoy teaching. I enjoy being around young people. Um, and, um, yeah, I, and I, I just going to just keep on growing the program as if we've never done anything. And I think that's the thing is just showing up every day with the intentions of trying to, to make yourself better and make the program better. And, uh, that's what I try to do individually. Yeah, yeah. And have you ever considered writing a book? I mean, I know you're big on the process and making boys men. And do you ever have a plan, maybe, to put out a book <laughs> any time in the future with all the the inside stuff you teach these players, and not just the players, but even the summer camps you do and the different things like that? Uh, you know, so a couple people have, have mentioned something like that to me but uh you know as i said I, i'm not overly intelligent to, to pull that off i i would need a lot of help and um i haven't really thought about it i know it's time consuming it takes time i've heard people 
that have written books and um but no i i think it's it's just about trying to take care of today and today is all encompassing for me so anything else is is probably overkill gotcha and then kind of wrapping things up here what does your what are your duties right now as the head coach of a baseball program which isn't able to be on the field what's kind of your day-to-day look like and what would people maybe be interested in that you're up to as a head coach right now no, I don't think they have much interest in what I'm doing. I, I think main thing is still running a baseball program. Uh, you're running the, you know, the coaches aren't here, the staff isn't here, the players aren't here. But at the same time, you're um, looking ahead to the roster, what might happen with the roster, uh, communications, admissions for the class coming in, um, scheduling. A lot of the, the things that we would be doing if we were playing, we're still doing right now. We're just doing them mobily. So um, and a lot of organizing and, and uh, you know, some learning. Learning's taking place that we couldn't do before. So, yeah, just trying to make good use of the time uh, and, you know, in a non-competition period, uh, wishing we could. But that's that's over with and we're we're trying to um, build going forward yeah thank you thank you again for all the information you've given to me and the people listening to this show and again joining us was tim corbin the head coach of vanderbilt baseball who has won two national championships he's a three-time sec coach of the year and he's also been a two-time abca american baseball coaches association national coach of the year coach corbin i appreciate you taking the time to join the show i do too jackson thank you very much i appreciate it Yep, take care. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to episode three of the Sports Tea with JD. My name is Jackson Duncan, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JacksonDuncan22, and you can find me on Facebook just by searching my name. And feel free to DM me with what you thought about this show with Tim Corbin, along with any content you may want to see in the future. And if you haven't already, make sure you go check out episodes one and two, and you can find those episodes along with this one on Spotify, Anchor, and YouTube. Just search the Sports Tea with JD, and I look forward to refilling your sports cup soon on episode four of the Sports. Sports Tea with JD.